Welcome to Truth Talk with John Morgan of Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Truth Talk. My name is John Morgan with the Traders Point Church of Christ. I'm here with our evangelist, Jeremy Bard. We're going to be in John chapter 18 this morning. We've been studying through the Gospel of John over the past several months, if you've been following along with us. And we are in chapter 18 this morning. Chapter 18 brings us to a scene that anyone who has studied much in the Bible or certainly about the life of Christ is going to be very familiar with, where Jesus ultimately gets taken into custody and the chain of events begins to unfold as he ultimately is led to the cross. And so as we pick up in chapter 18, we've, we've talked over the past several weeks about the conversations that Jesus has had in previous chapters, both with some of those people closest to him and then in chapter 17 with his father. And that all leads us up to where we are in chapter 18 and what's going to happen. And so, Jeremy, as we get into this chapter and we start to see what happens to Jesus here, I've always been curious just kind of what role the previous chapters have played in Jesus' mindset here as he uh, is ultimately arrested. Um, What do you think as you look at Jesus and how he begins to handle what unfolds? How has he gone about preparing himself for this moment? I think it's it's interesting to me. We've talked a lot about as we've you know been in the Gospel of John for several months, and you know that we've made the point over and over that John does a good job chronologically, where he keeps that you know chronological order of things mm-hmm. you know pretty tight. But we've also made mention over the last several weeks in the last half of the Gospel of John that chronology really slows down. I mean the last half really is basically the last week of Jesus's Mm -hmm. life. And so we've been in, you know, basically from chapters 13 all the way through chapter 17, where it seems as if it is Jesus and his closest disciples really at one time and at one moment and a big, long, you know, conversation that takes place. And so that seems like time is moving very slowly as we work our way through those chapters. But yet you come to chapter 18, and the picture is given to us that things are moving very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm thinking about Jesus, certainly he, is a, he acknowledges all that. And he knows that all these things are going to take place. And so it's interesting, you know, for him, you'd have to think he's in a good place. I mean, that, that he's given his disciples everything that he needed to give to them. He has had his conversation with the Father, as we talked about last week in John 17. And when we get into this chapter, and certainly when we get into chapter 19, I mean, the crucifixion, chapter 20, he's already resurrected from the dead. But really, chapter 18, with his trials, I mean, John paints a picture, and I think it's the right picture here, of things moving very, Mm -hmm. very quickly. And that that points to the picture of how big of a farce it was, you know, how, you know, the people moved it through, you know, in a way that just shouldn't have been moved through in the middle of the night yeah, even. Right. And I think John really does a good job in this picture to give us the idea that things move very, very quickly here. And I think the reality of Jesus being whisked from one place to one person, to the next person, to the next person, mm-hmm. to the next person. And I think chapter 18 really does a good job of painting that picture. But to your question, Jesus is ready for this. I mean, yeah. he, he is ready to go, you know, for this moment. You know, it, that's set up at the beginning of John chapter 18. 
You know, he goes there in, uh, to, into the garden, and he's arrested here, and he is prepared for this moment, much better prepared than his disciples were, <laughs> yeah. you know, when he was arrested. We'll talk about that as we get to it. But he was ready for this moment, yeah. and things move very rapidly from this point forward. Yeah, we're told there in verse number four that Jesus, therefore, knowing all things yeah. that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? So, I mean, right there, you just get the impression that, that he knows exactly what's coming his way. Yeah. He has, and he's tried in some ways to prepare his disciples for this. But as you pointed out, we're going to see that they're not prepared for this. And and to, to their credit, to an extent, I think it would be very difficult to be prepared for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Jesus has tried to prepare them for this moment and give them some indication as to what's going to take place, it's still a very difficult place to find yourself in. And so we're going to see how they react to all of that. But I think it's really interesting to see how Jesus reacts when they come to question him because he's so in control of the situation. He's not lashing out at anyone. He's right. not panicked. He's not fearful. Uh, he's, he's very much in control. And he answers their questions honestly. He answers them openly. And, and he knows what's coming. But yet ultimately he knows this is why he's here. Right. This is why he came to earth to begin with. And so it's not catching him off guard. It's not surprising him. And he reacts accordingly. It's really interesting here as he's being arrested. He, he's seemingly the only one in control. Yeah. I mean, we often make mention, and certainly John does a good job of telling us, you know, telling us the story of, you know, Peter literally physically lashing out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, he, he, you know, he's, he's got little control of what's going on. But I think it's interesting that even John gives us the idea that the ones that are coming to arrest Jesus, you know, it's kind of an odd, you know, kind of back and forth here that they're they're not exactly who it is, know who it is that they're coming. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's difficult for me to kind of wrap my mind around the idea that they don't know who Jesus is, yeah. but maybe they don't, maybe they don't know who he is you know, per se, and, you know, they're asking, you know, about that. And, but it, it's interesting that once he says that, yeah, I, I am that one, that they, they draw back and they mm-hmm. fall to the ground. And so that almost gives me, they have some understanding. Maybe they're not physically able to pick him out, but at least they've probably heard about Jesus and things that he's done, certainly yeah. the power that he has. And, and so even they have very little control yeah. over what's happening in this. So it's interesting that Jesus is the one being arrested, and he is the one in absolute and total control of the situation. And I think it goes to the point that you made there in verse 4, is, is it because it's because Jesus knows everything that's coming. He, he understands. And from what we've studied over the last, I mean, several weeks now, He's yeah. prepared himself yeah. for this now. I mean, he's he's mentally prepared. He is physically prepared. He's emotionally prepared. He's always been spiritually prepared. But he is completely prepared for this moment. And because of that, he is in absolute control. Really, from this point, through the ridiculous trials that, you know, so-called trials that we'll talk about here in this chapter. I mean, he even, he was in absolute control when we get into the next chapter, and he's beaten, Mm -hmm. and he's put on the cross, still in absolute control throughout the entire process. And I think that really is a credit to the last several chapters, I think, that we've been studying from. I've wondered about what you brought up just a second ago as well. When, When they come to get him, you know, and they seem to not know exactly which one he is. And, and that was a little confusing for, for some time for me because it does seem like you would know who Jesus is at this point. He's been such a public figure. 
but it may be a situation where they know the name, but right. maybe they don't know the face. And then I also think there's probably just something to be said about the fact they're coming in the middle of the night. And, I mean, they don't have spotlights and street lights and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're walking around with torches, and that's all they have as light. It may just be that if there's 10 or 15 people around, that it would be difficult to identify the person you're coming to get, and that's why they needed Judas uh, to, to help them with that. I don't know exactly what, what that may have been like, but I, I can imagine that the, just the circumstances in general could have made it difficult for them to pick out the one that they're after. They probably didn't have a mugshot of him in front of, in front of them to identify him with. And so some of that could have come into play. But then to your point, once, they, once he is identified, once he, he identifies himself, mm, right. it, they are almost visibly shaken. I mean, it, you know, this, is, this picture of them falling back, there is, I think to your point, there is some recognition that they may not know exactly who they're arresting. They may not know exactly who he is. But they've probably heard the stories, and you know he has. We've we've read already that there have been instances where he has escaped from people who have come to to seize him or try and kill him. And certainly, I can only imagine that his legend has grown uh, throughout the time that he's been on the earth. And so, I can imagine that there may be some apprehension on their part that and maybe they don't want anything to do with this guy. You know, this right. is their job, and they're going to fulfill their duty as a soldier here. But there's probably a little bit of fear uh, when it comes to taking this particular guy into custody because of what's been said about him, what they've heard about him, maybe even what they've seen him do. Uh, he may not be the guy that you want to be messing with if you're one of these soldiers, and yet they have a responsibility to do, and, and they do it. And, and as you pointed out, Jesus willingly uh, goes with them as the story then begins to unfold. You know, it's interesting, the the picture that each of the gospel writers give us of this moment, mm-hmm. especially of this moment with him being arrested. You have a couple of them that just kind of make mention of, and then you have a couple others that kind of draw out the picture mm-hmm. for us a little bit, and John does that. And, and I like you even, it's interesting to me that you still in this very, uh, what could easily be a very selfish moment for Jesus. I mean, he is the one that's going to be put on trial. He Mm -hmm. is the one that's going to be beaten. He is the one that's going to be killed. I mean, he knows all of those things, but yet his thought process is still on the people around him. I was struck as I was reading it, you know, again this week when he, he is, you know, he identifies himself. I'm the one that you're looking for. But then, you know, he says in verse eight, these other guys that are with me, let them go. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it is the, yeah, I'm the one that you want, not these guys. I'm the one that you want. And it's just interesting to me that even in this mark, and John is certainly going to paint the picture of, you know, the only one of Jesus on the cross and Jesus still thinking about his mother mm-hmm. and thinking about those things. It is his mindset yeah. throughout all of this still on others yep. that is remarkable you know, to continue to see that it's an incredible example for us, for sure. But John is the only one that kind of mentions it this way, and it was really striking to me this week that, he, you know, he says, you know, I'm the one, that, mm-hmm. not these guys, you let them go. Peter, he's not ready to go. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that. But it, it just, his mindset still is on others yeah. here, not himself. Yeah, and that is just an amazing characteristic of Christ in general. Yeah. He, he has been such a protector of these men, and we, we've talked about that uh, a little bit in, in past uh, in past shows where he, he has shielded them a little bit from some of the outpouring of anger that he has felt. 
And they're ultimately going to be the ones that that anger is directed towards going forward. But Jesus has protected them in a lot of ways from that, and he's continuing to do that here. Because, I mean, let's just be honest, there's probably a very real scenario in which they would have just gathered everybody up and take them right. all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if Jesus hadn't made himself known and, and said what he said. And so even here, he's, he's thinking about them, he's protecting them, he's looking out for their best interest. And then, as you mentioned, we see the reaction of Peter in, in all of this, which I think is... You know, as you read more about Peter, yeah. this is the reaction that you expect from him. He's oftentimes described as, you know, very emotional, somewhat impulsive, and you see some of that come out and how he handles this situation. But really, I think when you go just a few pages back, when Peter's talking to Jesus, he tells him that he was willing to die for he's him. And I think we're seeing that exact that he he is. He wasn't he wasn't lying. I mean. Listen, I don't know. I don't think we're told exactly how many guards were there, but we are told that they had weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's one against fifteen or whatever it was, like he's going to lose. Like he's going to be killed if if he continues this. And yet he's willing to do whatever it takes to try and protect Christ. And I think it's an admirable characteristic that we see in Peter, misplaced mm-hmm. certainly uh, at this time. And, and Jesus kind of rebukes him for that and kind of calms him down. But I think what we're seeing here is just the passion that Peter had for Christ and to try and do his part to protect him in this particular situation. Again, perhaps showing us that maybe he doesn't fully understand yet what's taking place, but certainly we can see the compassion that Peter has for Christ here. Yeah, he, I, don't, I think there's, he certainly doesn't understand what's going on. I, I think you know, even biblically these guys aren't understanding until we get into the book of Acts. I mean, yeah. you're into the book of Acts before they start to kind of piece some of these things together. But this has always been a really interesting part of the story, you know, for me here. You know, you wonder, you know, what Peter's intentions were as he yeah. cuts off the right ear of, right. Uh, of this guy. You know, was he intending to do much more damage to that yeah. than that, and he's yeah. just not a great swordsman? <laughs> or is he that good of a swordsman that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, you know, but, you know, the other gospel writers even tell us that Jesus heals that man in the mm-hmm. moment. And, and I'm sure that is going to add to the angst of the guards yeah. who already yeah. are in some kind of fearful position of Jesus and who he is to have, you know, this right ear sliced off in some way. And to Jesus to, to heal that, I would guess, uh, you know, in a borderline instantaneous kind of right in the moment, you know, kind of way. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you also are right. In verse 11 is a really, really important verse when Jesus tells Peter, listen, you, you put that sword away. I, I need to, I basically need a drink. He doesn't question here, but he's telling Peter, I, I need to go through these things. Yeah. This is what I've been telling you. This is the plan all along, and I need to, to do that. And it, you then get the picture of these disciples leaving mm-hmm. Jesus at the time, and then ultimately Jesus going through the rest of this chapter on, on his own. Yeah, and then we start to see how, how the story plays out here. As you mentioned, you know, several, most of his disciples scattering, a couple of them kind of following behind, right. and we get that picture um, as he begins to, to go through the process of this mock trial, if you will, that, that he's going to be he's going to be subjected to. And I think it's interesting as we read through this, and, and I think it's important too, to keep in mind who he's being brought before as as he goes through this process, because the Jews start with him. They they want first crack at him, but what we're going to see ultimately is the Jews don't have the right to put him to death. They can't do anything. They can't really. do it. And legally they can't do anything with him. 
And so that's when they enlist the help of the Romans here. But I think recognizing that initially is important because the Jews weren't out to figure out who this guy really is. They weren't out even to have him proven innocent or guilty. They were out to have him killed. That's what they wanted. Their minds had already been made up about that. And so they moved through the Jewish leaders very quickly to get to the Romans because they knew that's where he can be killed. Right. And so we get the, I think you made the point early on that what we see in chapter 18, I mean, it takes place in one night. Yeah. One night, he goes from being a free man who's out praying to a man who's being executed or, or you know, basically sentenced to death in the matter of a night. I mean, right. he, there, was no, there was no due process in all of this. There, there was certainly no fairness associated with any of this. And this was very much a group of people who wanted to kill this man. They saw their opportunity, and they did whatever they had to do to get him to the person who could ultimately do that for them. And that just, I think, it shows us just how strong the Jews at this time hated Jesus and what he stood for. I mean, there was deep-rooted hatred in the leadership of the Jews for this man. And when they saw their opportunity, they took it, and they moved quickly with it. And I think they knew by the time they got him to Pilate, I, I think in their mind, they understood the political pressure they were able to put on mm-hmm. Pilate. I, I don't think it was the, hey, we'll get him to Pilate and, you know, maybe it's a <laughs> coin flip or we're, you know, not looking too good that he's going to decide. I, I think they knew the amount of political pressure that they could lay on him, that basically they could get him to do nearly whatever they wanted him to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, the other gospel writers, you can really this whole picture together as you, you know, use all of them. But, you know, I think it is interesting that as he moves through Annas and he moves through Caiaphas, that seems to happen very quickly. Yeah. By the time he gets to Pilate, there seems to be more of a prolonged conversation, mm-hmm. and you get almost the back and forth that Pilate still, he still struggles with the decision on what to do with them, but you do get the picture from Annas and from Caiaphas that that moves very rapidly, yeah. very, very rapidly, because they, and I think you're exactly right, because ultimately, there's nothing they could do anyway. I mean, there's just, there's yep. nothing, and maybe it makes it look like there was some semblance of something that took place, you right. know, by the time they got to Pilate that, you know, hey, this due process is is holding. We 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 went to the right people. Yeah, yeah. he was there just a few minutes, but we went to the right people mm-hmm. and now we've brought him to you to to get done what needs to be done. And and he was politically kind of forced to yeah. to, to do that. And yeah. you know, it's just I think you're exactly right on the money. They're abject hatred for Jesus is on display here with how quickly and in the middle of the night that this thing goes. And you're right. He goes from the garden to being nailed to a cross very, very quickly, probably just in a a few hours. And, um, and he's dead. I mean, he's a dead man on the cross. And I I think to your point, uh, this is all taking place in Jerusalem where there's a lot of Jews present. And even though the, the Romans are in control, they, they oversee all of this. That's what Pilate's doing here. He, he oversees things on behalf of the Roman government. But, but Jews are surrounding him. Yeah. And, and that really is, is going to be seen in the coming chapters where, I mean, it's, it's a mob scene around Jesus. And, and the Jews are just continuing to stir that up. Yeah. And to a point where you almost get the impression that, that Pilate, he doesn't have a choice in this. I mean, he, he really doesn't. You know, there's even, 
I have to be a little bit careful because there are, there are moments in this as you read through the other accounts, you almost feel sorry for Pilate a little bit. Now, I, again, I got to be a little careful with that, but but this is a guy who you kind of get the impression that he didn't want anything to do with this. Oh, well, yeah. And yet he's be, his hand's being forced. And could he have stepped in? Probably so. Mm-hmm. But certainly you can understand the pressure that he was under in this situation. And this was very much driven by the Jews. They were going to do whatever they had to do to make sure Jesus was killed in this situation. Pilate just so happened to be the guy there who had the authority to do it. But, but he, he, he really didn't want anything to do with all of this. He recognized that, hey, the, the Jews are the ones that have a problem with you. He, he even get the impression as he begins to question Jesus, I'm not even sure how much he even knows about Jesus necessarily. Right. He's probably heard of him as well, but, but I don't think he knows as nearly as much about him as the Jews do, certainly. And, and he kind of wants to, wants to distance himself from it, but he's really not given that choice. And so you start to see how all of this is just being forced through the system very quickly. And again, I can only imagine, you know, we get the impression here, and we'll talk about Peter and, and how he handles this here in just a second. But to be somebody that witnesses all of this from the perspective of someone who loves and cares for Jesus and to see how unfairly he's being treated, uh, that would be really hard to witness, I think, for, for anyone who has any semblance of, of compassion for Christ because anybody could look at this and say, this is not being handled correctly. Nothing about this is fair. And you can just see that this is just a, a group of people out to kill somebody. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you've made mention of it already. I think that's where Peter comes back into the picture on this. You know, from John eighteen twenty four through 27, when Jesus is kind of ping-ponging back and forth between Annas and, and Caiaphas, the, you know, John tells, listen, Peter is there. Now, he's at a distance. Mm-hmm. He's kind of watching from a distance, but he's there. And I think this goes to where we talked about, you know, several minutes ago when Jesus was arrested. He, he knew there was a chance that his own disciples could be in some trouble as yeah. well. That's when he says, listen, the, the, these guys, let them go. Uh, you just want me. Let them go. But then you kind of see that coming back into play here with Peter because he's he's kind of he's being you know hit on here to say yeah. listen you're you're one of those guys yeah. you're one of the ones you know that were with him you know you're you know they're they're looking to cause problems for him because mm-hmm. he was with Jesus John tells us a kind of a, that interesting fact of you know one of the ones a relative of the mm-hmm. guy who had his ear chopped off yeah. by Peter he says what I, I, you were not just around you were in the garden just a little bit ago you were there with them and yeah. then just as Jesus said that it was going to be the case, Peter denies all of that. Yep. And, uh, and it's just, it, it's, it's e- very easy to jump all over Peter here with, you know, he should have stood up. He should have stood up, you know, here. But, you know, it is, it is a wild scene that's unfolding, you know, in front of Peter here. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he seems to be, you know, one of the few that are close enough to at least be witness to what's happening and he's got to be confused by it he's got to be scared by the whole yeah, situation sure. and uh and he falls prey to that temptation that ultimately listen we fall prey you know to it as well that listen it's just the easy thing i'm in deep trouble if i say the other and so he does and you know he's gonna personally pay the price for that but um it's just an interesting little piece back into peter before John tells us mm-hmm. about Pilate. And that, that, that interesting tidbit continues if you look at some of the other Gospels and get some of the more, more details that surround this. You know, I really like in, in Luke chapter 22, and this is the same story as being told from Luke's perspective, 
He gives us the added detail that when Peter denies him for the third time, Jesus turns and looks at him. Yeah. And, and I mean, that just, I just get chills when yeah. I think about that. And I can only imagine, you know, Peter feeling 10 times worse than that. And, and we can actually, you know, get some information about his reaction at that point. But Jesus, even in the moment, even in the chaos that was surrounding him, he was still concerned about his disciple. He was still concerned about Peter. And he knew what was going to happen. And when it did, to turn and look at him, and, and you know, if Peter and he were able to make eye contact for just a moment, uh, I, could, I could only imagine the, the mixed emotions that Jesus was feeling, probably the disappointment, but yet some understanding and probably even some compassion and empathy for what Peter was going through in that moment. Uh, all of those emotions that must have been present, probably in both of them at that moment in time, were... Peter recognizes that what Jesus had had prophesied about came true. He understands what he's done. Right. And certainly we, you know, we're given the the benefit of being able to follow Peter on from this moment and see how he turns things around. But but in this moment, I think to feel so helpless as you watch someone that you're so close to being put through all of this and then to be confronted with the fact that you've let them down in their moment of need. Uh, man, that's got to be. I, mean, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like for Peter uh, in that moment. And yet we see Jesus continuing ultimately as, as his resurrection and, and, and the times to come. He's still going to be there for him. He's going to yeah. build him up. He's going to make sure that he's re, he recovers from this point in time. But this certainly has to be a low point for Peter. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, as John continues to tell his story to the end, you know, we're, we're going to see kind of this scene be brought between Peter and Jesus after his resurrection. And you're, you're exactly right. Jesus there lifting Peter up, knowing what, what he has in store, yeah. you know, in the, in the coming months and years, you know, from that point, you know, and as, you know, as we're kind of, you know, getting down to it here, time-wise, as this chapter kind of begins to close, you know, Jesus comes to Pilate, and you've already said, I mean, Pilate really just doesn't know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably thinking in his mind, Listen, th- this guy hasn't done anything to the Romans. I mean, he, right. he's not done anything. I mean, even opposite of that, he's had opportunities when talking even about paying taxes to, you know, to Caesar. And maybe the Jews were waiting for Jesus to say, no, you don't have mm-hmm. to, you know, do that. But he said the opposite to yeah. that. Yeah, you, you need to pay your taxes to Caesar. And, you know, so Pilate's probably, I mean, he's, you know, you guys have problems with this guy. We, we, we don't have any problems yeah. with this guy. So he's trying to get to the bottom of it and... You know, it's you know they're trying to get Pilate to understand that hey, listen, he he calls himself a king, and you know he's going to overthrow the emperor. And Pilate then gets into that part of the conversation and asks Jesus, you know, is that is that true? Are you a king? And and it, it's really Jesus, like yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I am. But you you do have you know that interesting piece of an important piece of text where Jesus lets Pilate know, yeah, I, I am a king for sure. But my kingdom is very different from any of the kingdoms that you can think about. Mm-hmm. It's not of a physical nature. It's of a spiritual nature. It's not of this world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just an interesting conversation that takes place between Pilate and Jesus. And, and you're right. Pilate just simply has no idea what to do with them, but ultimately bends mm-hmm. to the political pressure that he's put under. Yeah, you know, we've talked about how Jesus has tried to help his his disciples understand that, that his kingdom is not one that's going to physically come and overthrow Rome like they were hoping. That, right. That's what the Jews 
Jews were wanting from the Messiah was that he would come and overthrow the Roman Empire and reassert Israel as the, the kingdom of prominence. And that's not what Jesus is. And you kind of get the impression here that he even makes it known to Pilate, like, hey, I'm not a threat to you. Right. You know, my, my king, yes, I'm a king. My kingdom isn't of this world. I'm not coming after your seat here. You know, I'm not, I'm not coming to overthrow the Romans. My, my, my kingdom is of, of spiritual nature. And at that point, I think Pilate's been kind of like, okay, you know, I, I don't find any fault with this guy. And, and at that point in time, you get to see then how he tries, I think, to find his out here. Yeah, no, no he, question. He, he knows, hey, I've got, I've got it. I've got it figured out. There's a custom where I release a prisoner. You want me to release this guy? You want me to release this terrible guy that Maybe should be the worst the guy worst. that they had. Right. The guy that should be killed. You want me, which one? And, you know, ultimately, I mean, we know, we know the, how this, that story unfolds as, as they demand the release of Barabbas over Jesus. But, but I, I just see Pilate there thinking to himself, I've got it. I've got my out. And then ultimately it ends up backfiring on him and it doesn't end up working out like he was hoping. And that, again, accentuates the sheer hatred that the Jews, the Jewish leaders, have kind of worked the people up into. Because I think you're exactly right. Pilate's mind is, this is going to be the way that I'm going to get out of this. Uh, This is a terrible, terrible guy that everybody knows it. I'm going to release him back into the fold. Or this Jesus who isn't seem to be harming anybody, only helping people. And they cry for the terrible, terrible Barabbas to be released back into the world. Yep. All right, we'll go ahead and stop there. Our time is about about out for this morning. Uh, So we'll pick up in chapter 19 next week. We want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to study along with us. Hopefully this has given you some things to think about as you continue your own study uh, through the Gospel of John. If you're in the area and looking for a place to worship, we'd love to invite you to come and be with us at the Traders Point Church of Christ. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by worship at 10 a.m. And again, at 6 p.m. Sunday evenings. We also have a midweek Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. So you are more than welcome to come and join us at any of those that you would like. Uh, If you can't join us in person, you can follow along online as we live stream our services at TradersPointChurch.org. Excuse me, TradersPointChurch.org. And we link that to our Facebook page as well. So thanks again for your time this morning, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talk with John Morgan of the Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. You can hear Truth Talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on 98.9 FM WYRZ.